have your Bibles, if you would open with me now to the book of Romans, chapter 8, as we continue our study through this epistle, and really one of the greatest chapters perhaps in the Bible, well, at least one of the greatest chapters, Romans chapter 8, so powerful in its content, so impacting in the truth that is found here. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to verse 10 is where we will pick up as we put things in context, considering together the blessings of the Spirit-filled life. Beginning in verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, then you put to death the deeds of the body, and you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we do thank you for the Spirit that you have left with us, the Holy Spirit, Lord, to provide what it is that we need to live this life that you've called us to live. And we ask that you would teach us this morning of the blessings that are found in the Spirit-filled life. In Jesus' name, amen. As we moved into chapter 8 of Romans, the Apostle Paul pointed out the wonderful, life-changing truth that comes with our salvation. If a person is in Christ, meaning they are saved, they have believed by faith in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, in his death, and also his resurrection. They are born again of the Spirit. The Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Because Jesus paid the penalty in our place so that we are not condemned. We also came to discover that for those who are in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residency with in our lives. He now lives within us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, makes his home within our heart, as it were. Paul then drew a comparison in this chapter between the life of the spirit as well as the life of the flesh. The flesh, meaning the sinful human nature that we are born with, that seeks to rule and to reign over our lives, pulling us downward, pulling us away from God, the flesh life. And when you live according to the flesh, you set your mind on the things of the flesh. And yet, to have a mind of the flesh or a carnal mind is to be at war with God. You're not subject to the law of God, nor can you be. Those who are in the flesh, the Bible says, as we read in this chapter, 
cannot please God. And the flesh ultimately brings death. But on the other hand, we read in verse 11, that the same Holy Spirit that has provided the, and helped with the resurrection of Christ from the dead has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, immeasurable blessings for the life of the believer, such as, you remember back in verses 2 and 3, we read the Spirit-filled life, what does it provide? Freedom from sin and death. The dominion of sin, the bondage to sin. Jesus said, whoever commits sin becomes a slave of it. However, when the Spirit of God takes up residency within your life, you are able now to overcome the flesh that once dominated you. In verse 4, we read that the Spirit enables us to fulfill God's law. It gives us the desire to do what is right, where before we had no intention of doing what was right, only doing what was wrong, or doing what was right in our own opinion as opposed to God's standard. Then in verses 5 through 11 of this chapter, we discovered that the Spirit of God transforms our nature and our character. Guys, listen. When the Spirit of God moves inside of you, He begins to clean house. He throws things out, rearranges the furniture, gets rid of, pulls the cable, does everything that needs to happen to renovate the space within because that's where he's going to dwell. Now, you can try to hold him off and say, hey, the, you can work on the living room, but that closet is off limits. No, he's going to come in. He began the good work in us. He's going to be faithful to complete the good work in us, and he begins to transform us. You know what the Bible calls it? It calls it sanctification. Salvation, it's the miracle of a moment. It can happen that fast. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime where you are being made more and more like Jesus and less and less like who you used to be, prayerfully, if you're walking with the Lord and in the Spirit. But then we come to verse 11 as we pick up this morning and 12, and we talk about now in the Spirit-filled life, He empowers us for victory. That is why in verse 12 it says, There Four, listen, students of the Bible, you know by now, I hope, if you've been here, when we see the word therefore, we ask, what is it? Man, that's awesome. I love it when you guys do that. We ask what it's there for, and the therefore is pointing back to everything that was written previously. Paul is saying, in light of everything I have just said to you about the Spirit-filled life, everything that I've said to you about justification by faith, therefore, we're no longer debtors, he says, to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. When he says we're not debtors, what that means is we're not under obligation. We're not bound any longer to live after the flesh as we once did. That we're not, I'm not obligated to that anymore. Formally, I, I could do nothing but pursue the work of the flesh. The Spirit was not alive within me. But now, now that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, I'm not obligated any longer to live a life after the flesh, but now I have the power and the ability to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And when the flesh comes knocking at the door, and it does, when it comes knocking at the door, I am able to say I am dead to that. And I have the power of the Spirit within me to reckon the old person to be dead. I am not under ob any obligation any longer to serve the flesh. But now I have the privilege and the blessing of serving the Lord through the power of the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life. We also come to find out, verse 14, one of the blessings of the Spirit-filled life, it says, as many as are led by the Spirit, it says that these 
are the sons of God. Did you know this morning, folks, that the Holy Spirit desires to lead and to direct and to guide your life? He wants to lead you in the right direction. He wants to help you find your way. In the Old Testament, you remember when the nation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness? They had a cloud. It was a cloud by day, and it was a pillar of fire by night. It was the presence of the Lord moving around. When the cloud moved, they stopped. And when they stopped, they set up the tabernacle, which was the tent of meeting where they would worship the Lord. And all of the tribes of Israel would camp around the tabernacle, which was located in the center. And in the center of the center was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God. And from an aerial picture, when you look down and you see the tribes surrounding, you see that God was in the center and the very throne of God was in the center of the people's lives. Their lives revolved around the throne of God. And when that cloud moved, they would pack everything up and they would move to the next spot and unpack and go through the whole process all over again. And they would just keep their eyes on the sky. And when it moved, that's the time to move. It would be wonderful today if you had that personal cloud over your head, over your house. Should I go to work today? Let me check. Hold on a second. Nope, nope. We're staying here. The cloud is here. It's cloud day. We're going to right here. You would be great to, to have that kind of leading but today, folks, we have the Holy Spirit of God to lead us, and he leads us primarily through God's word. God directs our lives through his word. That is why it is critical, it is so vitally important to be a person of the word of God, to spend time in the word of God, to get your marching orders for that day. When I wake up in the morning and take hold of my Bible, my prayer, at least one of them, is God direct me today. I know there are certain things that are on the calendar that I, I am responsible for, that I need to do. God, I ask that you would guide and direct my life. Show me what you want to do. Jesus said this, follow me. Made it simple. For people like us, follow me, and I'll show you what to do. Follow me, and I will direct your life. Are you following the Lord? Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? Listen to this. The Holy Spirit, with his leading, he will never lead you into something that contradicts what he has said within the word. He will the Holy Spirit will never contradict himself. So if you say, well, I'm doing this, and I'm being led by the Spirit, not if it contradicts the Scripture. If it contradicts the Scripture, you're not being led by the Spirit. You're being led by the flesh. You're not hearing from the Lord clearly because he doesn't contradict himself. He makes it very clear in his word. People that say, well, I'm just, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. You say, well, actually, you know, it's interesting you say that because it is wrong. This is what the Bible says. But the good news is we can be led by the Spirit. He leads us by the Word. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. The Word of God guides me, directs me, protects me. Shows me where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. He not only leads me through his word, but God will often use circumstances as well. God can use circumstances. He works behind the scenes. He works in ways we don't always understand. People always say God moves in mysterious ways. And in one sense, it is true. I don't always know how the Lord is using this. And I wonder, why did you close that door? And sometimes he closes that door because he really wanted me to walk through this one. And I might be fighting it and wondering, why did you do this? And yet this was all part of God's plan to guide and direct me, to show me where it is that he wanted me to end up. And if I'm yielded to that and allow the Spirit of God to lead me, it could be a pretty exciting life. When you just trust the Lord, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm, I'm just following the Lord. I mean, I know what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I know I have to go to work. I'm doing my job, but I don't know what God has. I'm just following the Lord. I'm just allowing him to lead me. 
The question is, are you allowing him to lead you and do you follow him when he is leading you? I don't want to go there, God. I think, I, I don't, I think you're off. I don't feel, I mean, I know that everything is pointing that way, and I, you know, but I don't, I don't think I want to do that. Well, you don't want to miss out on anything God wants to do in and through your life. So those that are filled with the Spirit, they have the blessing of being led by the Holy Spirit. Lord, lead. I pray, God, lead me as a pastor of this church. Lord, lead me as a, as a husband to my wife. Lead me as a father to my children. Lord, lead me, God, so that I can lead others. The only way that, that you can be a good leader is if you're a good follower. You want to lead your family? you got to be able to follow Jesus. And so it's so important. We get the blessing of being led by the Spirit. And in addition to being led by the Spirit, directed by Him, it says here, that these are the sons of God who are led by the Spirit. And here we find another blessing, and that is the Spirit of God confirms our adoption as children of God. It says in verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. The spirit of God reminds me that I'm a child of God, bears witness with my spirit that I've been adopted into the family. Look at what it says at the beginning of that verse. You didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. There are a lot of people in our world today that are very afraid. Some people are so fearful that they go into panic, have what they would call a panic attack. I've never experienced that personally, but I've prayed with and ministered to many people who do. And if you know what that's about, and that is something that you struggle with, listen, the, the enemy would love to just bring you to this place where you're immovable, you're, you're immobile. I can't move. I'm just, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm panicked. Why are you panicked? I don't know. I'm just afraid. And when you look around this world, there are a lot of fearful things going on. I mean, just being honest, you look and you see what's in every direction. Just turn on the news for five minutes. And you think it's a little scary. I think I'm going to stay here today. And you get fearful of what could happen, what might happen. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, guys. He's given us a spirit of a power of love and of a sound mind. We don't have to be afraid. Why don't we have to be afraid? Because we know we're children of God. Because we know we belong to him. We know who our dad is. We know who our father is. And we know that whatever comes into our life has to pass through his hands. As we've often said, it's father filtered. He knows what he's doing. And so if I am trusting in him and resting in him, I don't have to be afraid. Over 365 times in the Bible, you will read, do not fear or be not afraid. That's one for every day. If it's over 365, which I believe it is, that's for lunar year also. It's every single day God is reminding us to say, don't be afraid. I'm here. And maybe you just need to know that today. You don't understand what I'm facing. I don't. But if you're in Christ, he's there. The Spirit is bearing witness. You're not alone. He's with you. You don't have to be afraid. You overcome fear by faith and trust in God. You don't have to feel bad because you, you, you felt afraid. Listen, God knew we would be afraid. That's why he said it so many times. Don't fear because we do. God said to one of the, most, the greatest leaders of all time, Joshua, don't be afraid. I mean, he said it more than once. This is the guy that led them into the promised land. This is a warrior. Don't be afraid. 
David writes, when I am afraid, I mean, everybody experiences it. But here we find out with the spirit of God within our lives, we don't, we're, not, we're not given over to this bondage that accompanies fear. But instead, we've been, it says, have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out. The word is Abba, Father. The word Abba, by the way, it means daddy. It's this, it's this sweet term. My, my kids used to say that to me when they were little. They got older, they didn't, they don't say daddy anymore. They say, okay, that's fine. You know, hey, dad, what's up, pops? You know, they just, they don't say daddy. It was so cute when they were little. And when I was in Israel, walking the streets of Israel, I remember hearing, Abba, 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 Abba. It was a little boy calling for his daddy. This, we've been adopted into the family, and we cry out, Abba. You know, I've prayed with, ministered to, watched God do miraculous things with families that were unable to have children, but really wanted a child. And they go through this process. Some have adopted internationally, and there's great cost. And you, and you watch all the process they go through, and they so want this child. They're willing to sacrifice. They're willing to travel. They're willing to do whatever it takes. And I've, I've watched families. They, they didn't give birth to the child. They didn't, it didn't come from them, but they, they want that child, and they do whatever it takes to secure that child, and they love that child. They raise it. It's, it's their own, and they, they provide for that child. They, they adopt them. Listen, they adopt them because they want them. God adopted you and me because... He wanted us because he loved us. We don't have anything to, to offer him. He loves us. He has everything to offer us. And he says, I want you. I'm adopting you. You're in my family. And we have this beautiful, wonderful relationship where we can call upon him as Abba Father. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. That's a foreign concept to the Jewish people to call God your Father. To them, that seemed a little irreverent. But Jesus ushered in through the Spirit of God this new relationship where we can cry out, Abba, Father. Listen, if your kids cry out to you, do you say, stop being afraid, you baby? No, of course not. If you do that, that's wrong. You, you want to calm their fears. You want to minister to their need. You want to help them overcome. That, that's the heart of our Father for us. He doesn't say, stop being afraid. Don't be so wimpy, John. You have the promises in the word. He doesn't do that. He is coming alongside of me, reminding me with love and encouragement. I am here. You are mine. I called you by your name. You belong to me. Guys, you need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that. We've been adopted. And you know what this adoption provides? When you're adopted into a family, everything that belongs to that family now belongs to you. You are an heir to what belongs to them. When I was in high school, I was traveling around with a group of kids, and we went up through the Pacific Northwest ah, for a month and a half. And it was a great time. You know, you're in high school, traveling up the Pacific Northwest, seeing all different kinds of things. And when you would go to a particular church, they would have what were called homestays. That is where a family adopts you for the evening, takes you in, feeds you, and you know, allows you a place to sleep. And then we'd all come back together, and, and then we'd be back on the road continuing our trip. And you never know. You know, as a kid, you're like, man, I wonder who I'm going to get tonight. You know, where we're going to stay. And, and I remember we're in this tiny little church. And, you know, and afterwards, this elderly couple came up to take me and another kid to their house. And at first, you're like, man, I bet they don't have video games or nothing at their house. <laughs> They're probably going to feed us prunes for dinner. I don't know about that. 
You know, you're, you know, as a kid, you just, you're silly like that. You think those things. Most kids do. I did. But you're, you, so they get you in the car and we start driving. It's at night and we keep, they're like, hey, just want to let you guys know. It's like, it's a little, it's about an hour away. Oh, is it? And we're driving and driving. We turn down a dirt road. I'm like, this is getting a little creepy. You know, it's, so I mean, what's going to happen? Oh, our house is just around the bend. Sure it is. Sure it is. So they're driving, you know, down the road, and I'm just like, all right, man, the doors are locked. Okay, well, how are we going to get out of here, right? So we, we turn, we come around. There's no lights on this street. It's just, you know, all the way there. I'm like, this is, oh, man. So we show up. We turn the corner. No kidding. We turn the corner, and there is the biggest mansion I have ever seen or ever stayed at in my life. I'm, I'm serious. This is a mansion. It had a helicopter pad. We didn't get a ride on it, but there was a helicopter pad. We walked in the front door, and there was an elevator from the first floor to the third floor. You don't take the stairs. You don't have to. You just get in the elevator. And it was glass. You went up the stairs. It was this palatial estate. It was right out by Mount Shasta. And they said, hey, by the way, we, you know, I, all I, I do remember what I said when we were pulling up. I just remember my, my you know, I, I said, boy, the Lord's really blessed you guys. You know, that was all I remember saying. And I'd like to be a part of the blessing. <laughs> and we pulled up into this mansion, and, and I thought, you know, I, they're a little older. They own part of Mount Shasta, half of it. I thought, you know, if you guys need to adopt somebody, I'm here. You can adopt me. I can move from Santa Ana. It's really not a problem. We can work this out. Tonight, you know, I'm thinking in your mind. Because if so, if I'm adopted into this thing, all of this is mine, and I'm going to ride in the helicopter. That's what I was thinking. But let me say this to you. Your father, who's adopted you into his family, everything belongs to him. It's all his. And what this verse tells us right here is that we are heirs of God, and look at this, verse 17, joint heirs with Christ. Let me explain to you what that means. That means that in eternity, everything that belongs to Jesus, he shares with us for all of eternity. He's the heir of all things, and because we're in him, we're heir of all things. That's what it says, so you say, well, I don't have a rich uncle or a wealthy grandma to give me anything in this life. Listen, you have a heavenly father that owns everything and says throughout all of eternity, I'm going to let you share with my son, Jesus Christ, all that belongs to him. Do you understand how wonderful that is? That is why it's so important when you live in this temporary world, everything that we see, all that we can touch, everything that we can smell, everything that we can taste, all of it is temporary. It is not eternal. That's why the Bible says we don't look at the things that are temporal because what is temporal is passing away, but we're living for things that are eternal that will never fade away. That's why the Bible says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing can touch it. Guys, listen, we are a wealthy people that we will, we will be joint heirs with Christ for eternity. Do you understand that? Is that marvelous to consider this morning? Anybody excited about that? That's the spirit-filled life. 
You say, well, I don't really, I'm, I'm struggling financially. You know, I don't really have much. Well, listen, friend, eternity is going to be awesome. You're, you're going to be so blessed because you're entering into all that God has for you as a joint heir with Christ because of the spirit-filled life. But look at the end of this verse. It says, we're joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You know, Pastor John, that's messed up. You know, I was super excited about glory and joint heirs and glory. But, but now you had to say suffer, didn't you? I didn't say, Paul wrote it. He wrote it. If you suffer with him, if anybody knew about the sufferings of Christ, it was Paul. If you've ever read through the book of 2 Corinthians, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do so. It is Paul's candid, most heartfelt letter about the things that he endured as a minister of the gospel. Things that Paul would say, open your eyes to what he really went through. He said at one point, we carried inside of ourselves the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we, we were so hard-pressed, we were so overwhelmed by our circumstances that we despaired of life. We, we'd be fine just if the Lord would take us now. We, 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 I mean, we spent time in prison. Paul said, you don't want to know how many times I've been beaten? Check out the stripes on my back. Check out how many times I was floating in the ocean when we were shipwrecked. A night in the, and a day I spent in the deep. A, a, an entire night floating in the ocean. People get scared when they put their feet in. Oh, man, there's a shark. I don't want to get eaten. You know, but I'm talking about floating in the ocean for 24 to 48 hours, not sure if you're going to live or die. I mean, this is, this is the suffering of the Lord. Paul says we suffer with him so that we may be glorified. But this, this, is, you have to, this is why it's good to read verses in context. Because the very next verse helps us understand. He says... For I consider, that means to reckon, to think about, to calculate, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul said, all of these things that I'm suffering with and in at the moment, what I've done is I've compared them to the glory that's coming. And here's what I came to realize in drawing the comparison. There is no comparison. When, when I tried to weigh them on the scale, the scales are tipped. They're not even in the same category. It's, you can't compare it. There is no comparison to the glory that will be revealed in us. We read that. We understand that, at least in its context. But when you are suffering, it's difficult to take hold of that. You want to believe it. Even in our own fellowship this week, people suffering through loss. We had a memorial for a brother that was here last Sunday who went home to be with the Lord on Monday. And, and I mean, th th these are real things. People suffering, hurting another family that lost their daughter. And, and the suffering, people who, have, who called this week and said, hey, this diagnosis is not good. We're about to go through treatment, and can you pray for us? I mean, these are things that happen on a regular basis that we intercede, we visit, we go, we send people to minister to, and it's, it's throughout this body. People suffering. And in the midst of suffering, there has to be this assurance that, that what is coming is so much greater than what is here at the present time. But it is difficult for us because 
we live here. We don't yet live there. We can read about there, but we can't even fully comprehend what's there because we're finite. We have, we have finite minds. This is the infinite God and all that awaits us. And all we can read is this, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's joy unspeakable. It's full of glory. But we, don't, we only see, the Bible says, through, through a mirror or through a glass dimly. We don't fully understand it. When we get there, oh, I see what you were talking about. But right now, we can't comprehend it, and so we struggle. And so much of the suffering that happens in this life is because we live in a fallen world. We live. This is not the world that God created. That is why there is suffering. So much of the suffering that people want to lay at the feet of God, oftentimes the same people that deny the existence of God, and the reason why they deny the existence of God is because of all the suffering in this world. But the fact is, so much of the suffering is because of man. This is what man has done. This is the, the God of this world is behind what's going on and the suffering that's taking place. But it's not always going to be like this. There's glory that's going to be revealed in us. And as we wait to experience that glory that the Bible promises, you know what's happening? We're groaning. I mean, literally sometimes groaning for glory. We're not the only people that groan for glory. Did you know that? What we're going to find out in light of the suffering that we have and some of the suffering that we experience, you know what suffering does as a Christian? It, it weans you from this world. It, it makes you long for heaven. It, God uses it so often to make us long for heaven, weans us off this world. But, but there are those who are groaning for glory. Let me explain. First group, groaning for glory. Are you ready for this? Creation groans. Look at what it says in this context. Very interesting passage in verse 19. Paul writes, The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains until now. Isn't that an interesting passage? It's Paul is saying creation is groaning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke the world into existence. I believe what the Bible says. God created it. Well, what do you think about seven literal? I think it, it says what it says. People want to debate it, and, and it's so interesting how people want to debate Genesis, and, they, and there's different things. Listen, I believe exactly what it says. God is God. He could create it in seven days. He could create it in seven minutes, seven seconds. That's the God I serve. I don't get all hung up in it. I read what it says in the scriptures, and I take it at face value. God created it. He spoke it. It wasn't evolution. It wasn't a big bang. Poof, here it is. None of that, nothing evolved from the slime of the whatever fortuitous occurrences. Not. That is not what we're talking about. We're talking about God. And if you can read Genesis 1-1 and accept it, you should have no problem with the rest of the Bible. But when God created the creation, it was perfect. It's not perfect now, but it was then. I mean, with his, with his I mean, you ever studied light? Just do a little study on light. 
God just spoke it and said, let there be. And we're still figuring out what light is and what it does and how it travels and all of the things that we're just, we're just scratching the surface. I think I know what light is. Do you? God just said it. But here's the thing. When man fell, when corruption through sin came as a result of the fall, not only was mankind affected, but here the implication is creation was also subject to corruption. Creation experienced the bondage that man experienced and is longing for, as it says here, with birth pains to be free. In other words, if a redwood could talk and they can't, don't try to talk to them. They don't talk. <laughs> if you want to hug it, you okay. They can't talk, but if they could, they would say, you think this is large? You should have seen me before the fall of man. I was huge. If mountains could speak, and they don't, they would say, you should have, should have, should have seen us, seen us, seen us before the fall of, fall of, fall of that. We were big, they, they can't talk. What I'm saying to you is creation is not what it was, nor what it's going to be. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Creation is, it says here, groaning to be liberated the same way that we are. We, we have this future. We have this hope. We know what's coming. We know that there's glory to be revealed. And living in this world that's suffering, we long for that. You know, the Bible tells us, there's a passage in Isaiah that talks about the future reign of Christ. And it says that the hills are going to break forth with singing. And all the trees of the field are going to clap their hands. Is that a literal concert in creation? I hope so. That would be awesome. The hills are alive. The sound of music, that'd be so great. I mean, the trees are, I hope that's what happens. I don't know. I just know that creation is going to be liberated and it's going to blossom and bloom. And you think it's beautiful now. This new heaven, this new earth that's coming, it's just, it's incomparable. We've never seen anything like it. And you could think about the most beautiful places that you've ever traveled or seen in a picture or whatever. It does not compare to what is coming. And in the meantime, creation is groaning with birth pains, longing for that. But not only is creation groaning, believers are groaning. We are groaning. Look at what it says. Verse 23, but not only that, not only is creation groaning, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we're the Spirit-filled life, even we ourselves we groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption that is the redemption of our bodies. We're saved in this hope, but if this hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one hope for still what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, well, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Creation's groaning, but so are we, believers, filled with the Spirit. We know something is coming. We are groaning. The older you get, the more you groan. I had a birthday this week. I'm, hey, yeah, you, we groan. I, it's a true story. I was walking down the hall this week. We have mail that comes through the mail slot. It drops the thing, drops on the floor. And I just was going down to pick it up. And I found when I went to pick it up that I made noises. Like, why do, you, why do I do that? I was like, handsomely. It's going, I mean, why, what is the deal with that? When did that start? I don't know. It just happens a lot. You wake up in the morning like, hey, ah, 
Why is that arm sore? I don't know. You picked up a book and it hurt. Why? We're, we're groaning. We're groaning for glory. We're longing for the day when we can shed these, what the Bible calls tents. These are tents. You can dress them up, spray them down, try to make them look, you know, whatever, but it's going to wear out. No matter what you do to it, your tent will have holes and leaks and pains and and will come apart at some point. Because it's temporary dwelling place. But the Bible says one day we're going to set aside these tents and we're going to enter into a mansion. Now listen, I understand. Sometimes people think, oh man, I can't wait to get to heaven because I'm going to get a mansion. You know, that's why I'm serving the Lord. I'm going to get a mansion when I get up there. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be huge. I'm going to have a pool. You know, and I, I, you know, you grew up, sometimes these people give you these pictures of heaven and it's everybody living on glory way. You know, and we all have mansions. Unless you didn't, you know, you weren't very faithful. You get a little shack, you know, a little one bedroom studio, you know, with a, you know, a small compartment of, people think that. You think, oh, bro, sorry, you didn't, you can come over and swim in the pool. It's cool. No, come on, come on, just bring it over. Bring the whole family over. You know, you, you think like that. No, listen, here's what I think. I think when the Bible talks about the tent being the temporary body, setting it aside, and it refers to the mansion, it's talking about the glorified body that we're going to enter into. The glorified body compared to the tent is a mansion, and there's no comparison again. And so knowing that this thing is groaning and falling apart, and long, I mean, you're longing for the day. And, and there comes a point in life And I've been with people who have been at that point where their body is in so much pain, so much physical pain. They're they're at the edge of of eternity that I've been with them. I've heard them say, God, just take me. Pastor John, pray that the Lord would just take me tonight. I mean, what what, what brings you to that point? It's just, just, I'm ready to set the tent aside. I just, I'm groaning for glory. I'm longing for it. We're gonna lay aside the tent and we're going to enter in. Creation is groaning for glory that will be revealed. We are groaning for glory that will be revealed. But listen, there's somebody else who's groaning. The Holy Spirit. Look at what it says in verse 26. Likewise, in addition to what we've just said, creation and and Christians, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought but the Spirit makes intercession for us with, with groanings which cannot be uttered. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Creation groans. Christians groan. Here the Spirit of God, it says here, groans. Paul makes the point that we don't always know how we should pray. I don't always know what to pray for or, or what is God's will in this particular situation. I mean, I, I think I'm praying in accordance with your will. I, I, and if I'm not, Lord, align my will with yours. I, I submit to your will. Let your will be done, not mine. But I don't always know what to pray. And when you're in that place of suffering or you're in that place of hardship, sometimes you, I don't know if you've had this experience. I'm, I'm sure that you have. Where you, don't need, you can't find the words to articulate what it is you want to pray. I don't. I don't know what to pray about that. I don't have the words. I, I don't, I'm too grieved or I'm too broken or I'm too, I, I'm too confused or I don't, I don't know what to pray. 
And so sometimes in that place, it just comes out as a, (sighs) but the Spirit of God interprets what I'm unable to articulate because he knows what the will of God is and, and, and he intercedes and prays for me and helps me in my weakness. The spirit-filled life, the spirit of God interprets the things that I don't even know how to articulate. Did you know not only is the spirit of God praying for you, but that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, the Bible says, making intercession for us this morning, praying for us? When Peter was there with Jesus in his ministry, Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked for you. He desires to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. What a tremendous encouragement it is when a believer, a brother, a sister comes to you and says, I want you, can I share something with you? This week, for some reason, the Lord put you on my heart. I've been praying for you. I don't exactly know what's going on, but the Lord brought you to my mind, and I I just want you to know this week, I've been praying for you. And what an encouragement that is. You think, Thank you, Lord, for putting me on somebody's heart and for them praying for me. Thank you, Lord. But guys, know this. The Spirit of God is interceding. Jesus Christ is interceding on our behalf today. We are covered by him. There's a coming glory. We're groaning for it. We long for it. Creation desires it. But that brings us to the concluding verse this morning in verse 28, a verse that if you do not know it, you, you want to memorize it and hide it in your heart. It says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. When it says the words we know, it means to know with absolute certainty, to be Completely convinced, unshakable. I know it. I know it. The only people that can say they know that all things work together for good are people who love God and are called by God. Anybody outside that cannot claim this passage for their own, the spirit-filled life, the person who, who knows Christ, is filled with the Spirit, is able to say with certainty, I know that all of these things are working together for good. I don't know how they're working together for good. I don't know the method that God's going to use. I don't know what the good is going to be, but I do know that God is going to use this for good in my life. And I look around this room today, and I see faces, and I know names, and I know stories after story of people in this room that God has used the painful, the difficult things for good in your life. And I, and I look at myself, and I've seen God do that as well. What the enemy intends for evil, God uses for good. The Bible is full of people where God took what was bad and he used it for good. Loss, grief, pain, suffering. Somehow he turns that and and, and the only people that have that certainty that he's going to do that are people that love God and are called according to his purposes. You might be suffering here this morning. 
You might be in the midst of some painful situation. Maybe you just received a diagnosis of like people in our church who are concerned about what, what's next and I don't know where this is gonna go and what the test results are gonna be. But this is what I know. I know this, that God is gonna use this and he's working it out in my life for good. Folks, listen, when I was at the foot of the bed of my father, as he was transitioning from this life into heaven, watching those moments, those hours that would tick by. And you watch the body begin to shut down and you see the different things and you're observing it and you're taking it in and you're, you're, you're seeing it. And you're watching his breathing change. And then when you watch them take their final breath, my family... We joined hands and we stood there and I said from my mouth what Job said. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the only way that you can say that is if you know that all things are working together for good. That's the only way you can say it. And when you know it, you can live by it. And listen, when you come to that moment and, and you have your day, you'll hold on to that. And I'm telling you this, the ground is solid. It is solid ground. You'll be able to stand. I, don't, I can't explain it. And I'll tell you, God has used it for good in my life. I, I'm far more concerned about, far more aware of heaven and longing for it than I have ever been in my life. What are you experiencing today? What have you encountered? Do you know that all things are working together for good today? The blessing of the spirit-filled life? <sighs> Nothing compares to it. The Bible says, be ye continually being filled with the spirit. There's freedom there's power to overcome the flesh. There's the ability to endure great suffering because you have knowledge of good things to come. You're a joint heir with Christ throughout all of eternity. And what we experience here in this fallen world, this vapor of life, isn't worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So may God help us to live for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning for the Spirit of God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Your word says that you have not left us orphans, but you have left us the Spirit. And he will remind us of all the things that you taught us. Everything that you said, he will draw people to you, bring glory to you. And today, Lord, I pray for a fresh filling for those of us here in this room, Lord, of the Spirit of God. Lord, for those that are suffering today, for those that are hurting here in our body, Lord, you know the circumstances, you know the details, you know that all the things that that they're experiencing, I pray that you would be, be everything they need right now. Lord, let the grace of God just bear them up and sustain them today. Use 
these things for good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us this morning? May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May you walk in the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and see the fruits of the Spirit being born in your life as a result of abiding in Christ. If you need prayer today after the service, I would encourage you to come up to the front. There'll be those that would love to pray with you. If not, may you just have a Jesus-filled week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.